0: You're listening to an ENN podcast on Field Exchange, Issue 65.
1: Good day, listeners. My name is Natalie Sessions, and I'm one of the senior nutritionists here at ENN. As you may know, we recently launched our latest edition of Field Exchange, Field Exchange 65. And in this edition, we featured an article titled, multi Nutrition Programming, Nutrition Smart Villages in Indian, Bangladesh. And I must say, this article really caught my eye and I found it a fascinating article to read. So I'm delighted today to be joined by one of the authors of this article, Sweta Banerjee, the nutrition specialist for World Health Hilfer India's Country Program, to speak to the content of the article and provide some broader insights. Thank you so much for making the time to speak to us today, Sweta.
0: Thank you. And I'll be more than happy to share what we have experienced and all about our project. Brilliant. Thank you so
1: much. So perhaps I can start off with the first question to you. Just broadly speaking, could you briefly describe the Nutrition Smart Village approach? What are some of its aims and how has it been implemented in India and Bangladesh to date?
0: Uh, The goal of the project is to reduce malnutrition especially among women and children. We feel the families need to understand malnutrition in practical terms, identify the drivers of malnutrition, plan actions from their existing resources and access the and influence the government schemes and policies. So if this can be done altogether, then we believe that malnutrition can be reduced sustainably. So this is a multi-sector approach focusing on the nutrition sensitive interventions and creating an enabling environment for change. aim of the project is actually to help people to help themselves. It is not about giving support, but it is helping people to be able to use what they already have and make changes in their life. We have been experimenting with this uh, multi-sector approach in five states since 2012. And gradually it has uh, replicated now to other states in India, three districts in Bangladesh and two rural municipalities in Nepal. The Nutrition Smart Villages are now being scaled up in the other well to healthy countries of sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia as nutrition smart communities.
1: Brilliant. Thank you so much. That's so interesting to hear about the scale-up of the initiative and the fact that it really does place emphasis on people helping themselves. I think that that's a really sustainable way of approaching multisectoral programming. I know the article talks about evidence-based interventions that are implemented in partnership with community service providers, and I was wondering how these interventions were selected, and can you describe a bit of the process of working with community service providers?
0: Through these years of trial and error, we zeroed down on five good practices. This is our five evidence-based practices, which are the land plus PLA. Land plus is linking agriculture and natural resource management towards nutrition security. So we call it land plus And we implement this LAN plus through a methodology called PLA, participatory learning for action. The second one is the nutrition gardens using the integrated farming systems. Then we have the social behavior change communication on feeding and care practices for women and children. We have the nutrition sensitive village micro planning linked to government development plans so that people are able to plan for themselves using their entitlements, their rights, and the existing schemes. And finally, strengthening village institutions. So these five practices or interventions are implemented simultaneously in the village. So if we talk about each one, the PLA is a sensitization process of the community or the family about good nutrition the causes of uh, undernutrition and prioritization of problems and planning actions. So it takes the community through a series of 15 to 20 meetings, wherein through participatory methods, uh, the community learns all about nutrition, how it looks uh, in their village, what is the, what are the major issues and what they can do about it. And they come up with their own plans to address malnutrition. The behavior change communication that we conduct, is for behavior change of mothers and caretakers. This is awareness generation and skill building of mothers on care and feeding practices, including WASH. We usually conduct positive deviance camps with mothers or caretakers of the undernourished children. We picked up, uh, which was initiated by UNICEF, and we found it very useful. They pick up different kinds of skills like how to feed children, how to cook uh, low-cost foods, They learn about vaccination, learn about quantity, quality, consistency of the children's diet, about nutrition gardens, how to produce their own food. So little things they do every day, every day they are actually practically doing things, washing their hands, cooking, feeding and learning. So these sessions are very good in behavior change communication. Besides this, we also celebrate breastfeeding days, nutrition week and all other uh, days related to nutrition and uh, hygiene wash practices. Then the nutrition gardens using integrated farming systems. Here we build skills of families on agroecology-based nutrition gardens and integrated farming systems to ensure minimum dietary diversity throughout the year. And this is done through farmer field schools. We set up these farmer field schools. We start with one farmer who is the lead farmer who volunteers to try out the farming system. And then gradually there are groups of farmers who go to this lead farmer and learn and replicate on their own land. Then we have the nutrition sensitive micro planning. It is a process of building capacity of local volunteers and elected members to engage in nutrition-sensitive village planning, to access entitlements under the government schemes and actively participate in government planning and budgeting process. So we find in both India and Bangladesh, there is a system of bottom-up planning for the villages. There is a budget allotted for each village assembly and that budget should be planned by the people based on what they need. But in both countries, we find that people are not aware of this process. It is the influential people who participate and access all the facilities. We uh, try to teach a group of people, we call them the barefoot planners, on what this whole planning process is about, uh, how to do it. How to make all the vulnerable families participate in it and how to put it up into the government system and also follow up. So, this is a process which is helping people more and more to participate in the whole process of planning and accessing their rights and entitlements. And finally, the institutions. These are institutions which are already there uh, within the system, within the village. We strengthen these institutions so that. This is a kind of a phase-out strategy for us. NGOs, the local NGOs would phase out and entire planning, decision-making, follow-up, monitoring, everything will be done by these institutions from within the village. And the institution also it helps people to... Take their voices up to the government. Collectively, they are more powerful, so they can demand their rights and entitlements through these institutions. We are also working with the government service providers who are there at the grassroots, because they are also, in a way, part of the same community. They also need support. Their work is very difficult because they work in very cruel situations where they hardly have things and uh, like machines, uh, weighing machine, the nutrition worker. We also work with these uh, grassroots workers uh, to build their capacities on how to mobilize people, how to conduct interesting sessions where people will participate, different ways of following up, how we can strengthen their capacities to be able to deliver better. So as on one side, we have people, we want people to uh, demand for their rights On the other end, we also support the service providers to be able to supply the the demands.
1: Great. Thank you so much, Shriza. That sounds like a real well thought through and comprehensive set of interventions. Really interesting to hear. I think you've already touched on this, but I'll just ask the next question in case you have anything else you'd like to share. And that's around the strengthening of government institutions to better serve communities and through the provision of entitlements. And I was wondering if you could talk through why that is important and the challenges of doing this.
0: As I mentioned, as uh, we uh, strengthen the demand side, the supply side also needs to be strong. We are working with the existing institutions in the village. We find in both the countries, the government has some mandated institutions. For instance, the Village Health, Sanitation and Nutrition Committee, the School Management Committee, the Mother's Committees, the Health Committees, the Village Assembly of elected Members, the Self-Help Groups, uh, Women's Groups. So these kind of committees, the government, through various programs, they already form these community-based institutions. So instead of forming any new institution within the village, what we do is we strengthen, we work with these, committees to make them understand what is their role and how they can execute their role in a better way. We have seen that uh, these committee members are not even aware that they are part of a certain committee and leave alone having clarity on what are their roles. So this is something we have picked up and uh, we work with them to help them to um, execute their uh, duties maintain records, plan actions through the PLA that we do, or village planning, manage the untied fund. Often the government also has some funds for the institutions to do small activities within the village, but these uh, funds are not well utilized or uh, there is corruption. So when we do these trainings we tell the people, we make the process very transparent. Everybody knows about the uh, funds, the books of accounts. So all these kinds of capacity building is done with these institutions so that they can do their work better. So this helps us to develop a system which continues the initiative that we have started. They do the planning, the monitoring, the follow-up. All these activities are then uh, done by these groups. I would also bring in the service providers in the institution so, making them well equipped, linking uh, the service provider with the volunteers. Now, we tell the community, we make them understand that the service provider needs help. Because she is a paid uh, government provider doesn't mean uh, she can do everything on her own. So, unless the community supports her with her work, she will not be able to do her um, uh, services, give her services. So, this has strengthen the government's initiative that is there in the village. And also, along with this, we have um, tried to regularize the middle-level management from the government departments with sharing of more detailed information, ways to collect data. For instance, the middle-level management have the data, how many children are in severe malnutrition, how many are moderate, and how many are probably in the normal grade. But they don't know, they don't get the information that the children who are in the severe category, what are the issues around those children? Is it the feeding practices? Is it the family's livelihood patterns? Is it their wash behaviors? What is leading to this um, situation of severe uh, malnutrition? So. We are trying to develop uh, these uh, data systems whereby there is uh, family data being generated and this we are sharing so that the service of the middle level management, their planning becomes more realistic. Great. Thank yeah. you so much
1: for that very comprehensive answer. And it's great to hear all the work that's happening in terms of strengthening government institutions. In this article, you provide a summary of baseline and endline survey comparisons. And I was wondering what were some of the most encouraging findings to you when exploring this data?
0: The study that we did was in a location where we worked for around two years. So it was not too long a time. But still, we realized that a lot of things uh, have changed in even this short time. The biggest achievement that we saw is the minimum dietary diversity of women. So this has uh, increased a lot. In a way, we realized that it is not always that it is not available. The knowledge was also uh, not there. The community can change these behaviors very easily. Along with this, we find uh, community families growing nutrition gardens has also increased. So in the uh, rural communities, people are already interested in uh, agriculture. So when you give them a pattern, when you give them a design that this is where the garden has to be, it has to have fruit vegetables, yellow and orange vegetables, fruit trees, roots and tubers, medicinal plants, spices. So if you give them this design and discuss with them. They come up with a lot of ideas, which they already have, uh, their indigenous knowledge. And then we plan out this garden, which gives them this diverse variety of food and vegetable, along with that we work on this integrated farming system so we insist on introducing animals chickens ducks fishes whatever is possible wherever we try to integrate the animals so automatically like you see the dietary diversity has increased and the interest in the gardens has also increased so along with these gardening techniques we have also taught them how to increase the hydration of the water of the Soil. How we can use our waste to water in the kitchen gardens. Thirdly, I would say people's participation in village assembly plans and budgeting has increased. Earlier, there was this hesitance because they were not clear that how this uh, all happened and found it very complicated. And a lot of them migrated. Along with this, automatically, the access to government services has increased. So now they know exactly what are different uh, schemes that are already, especially in India, there are hundreds of schemes, but nobody gets, the the community doesn't get to know about it. Now with all these um, uh, processes, uh, trainings, discussions, they are aware of the different schemes and how to access it, how to apply for it. We focused more on the people who already had a toilet but didn't use it. So how to make the toilet usable, how we can have water supply near the toilet, how we can have a soap near the toilet, so that even they started feeling comfortable with the idea of the toilet and then creating hand washing stations in the household or if there is li- very little budget with the family, then we showed them how to make pipitabs Using recycling of wastewater improved use of uh, toilets with people who already have toilets. The project does not provide any kind of duplicate uh, services that the government is already doing. So as the government is already has schemes on sanitation and other things, so we don't construct toilets or things like that, but we tell people how to get the service. So we found that a lot of wash practices have also improved. So these four or five things, we found a lot of change, but infant feeding practices did not change much in mm as per our expectations. So it's women's dietary diversity, it's kitchen gardens, participation in village assembly, access to government services and wash. These are the things that really changed in this short time. That's really interesting
1: and some encouraging results. As you say, it's only been two years. One of the findings you noted that there were some declines in the levels of child wasting in the project villages in Bangladesh, but no improvements in the levels in Mm -hmm. India. In Mm -hmm. fact, there was a slight increase. And I was wondering if you could speak to some of the potential reasons for these differences.
0: What we found compared to Bangladesh, in India, the improvement in infant feeding practices was not so good. The number of feeds that a child should be getting or the quantity, the diversity had improved, but the quantity and the frequency was somehow something that didn't improve so much as we wanted it to. And another thing we re- realized that the mothers in India especially, they had have a very um, high workload. Uh, as a result, uh, the mothers leave the children, the infants with their older siblings or the grandparents and go for work. These children are not fed properly during this time when the mother is away. And also the hygiene, the way the children are kept is also an issue. Uh, drier regions of the world this is a major problem where you spend half the day fetching water for the family for the cattle and everything and tending to the cattle this is also a big role that the women do so they are spending a lot of time doing all these household chores and also working outside as wage laborers or on their own fields So as a result, they really lack the time for taking care of their children. So the feeding, infant feeding frequency is something I think that did not happen or the behaviors did not change as much as we wanted it to. And of course, uh, the hygiene issue is also there because the children are just on their own playing on the ground. So worm infestation, uh, repeated infections. These are a continuous process among the children in the Central Indian communities. I think that is the reason why the children did not gain weight, because whatever diversity has had improved, it, it was not supported by hygiene and by the uh, proper frequency and consistency. So that's uh, my feeling. Yeah. You know, but in Bangladesh, on the other hand, uh, women are more homebound. They spend most of the time tending to the nutrition garden, the children, the house, and their feeding patterns are also much better. To an extent I also feel vegetarianism has an issue because from a very tender age in Bangladesh you would find children being given eggs and meat and chicken and other things but in India people are scared. Even if the families are not vegetarians they wouldn't give their children these kind of protein food. So this is also an issue. So the whole process is very slow and the mothers are also malnourished. So the malnutrition basically starts from the mothers womb right from the fetal stage so this stunting is very high in india so correction of stunting as you would also agree is takes time mm-hmm. but we are very hopeful
1: that mm-hmm. things will change okay. Thanks yes. for the, those insights. I think they really are fascinating and just point to how complex it is to try and reduce undernutrition. And there's so many factors at play. And like you say, yeah. there's this life cycle and it's generational approach we almost need yeah. to take. Just moving on to our second last question, I was wondering, and I'm sure this project has given you so many learnings and reflections in implementing multisectoral programming. And I was wondering what stands out to you as a key learning or a few key learnings that might be helpful for others when implementing multisectoral nutrition programs?
0: I am now uh, totally convinced that undernutrition can only be sustainably reduced through multi-sector approach. Because there are so many drivers for um, malnutrition or undernutrition that unless we work on all these issues simultaneously, it will not change. So nutrition-sensitive interventions along with creating an enabling environment. So when we um, design our multi-sector approach, it's just not agriculture. And we have to think of how we are not only giving skills, but also creating an environment which may be a social environment, a political environment, giving the citizens their rights. This is important. So unless there is this environment where I can make changes happen, no matter how much information we give the community, the change will not come. And this is one big learning that whatever we do, be it addressing the uh, nutrition-specific interventions, we need to create this environment where change is sustainable. Now, so often we have found earlier in my experience uh, in other organizations that i've worked with uh, severe acute malnutrition so these children who come back from the nutrition rehabilitation center they are again exposed to the same environment whenever you talk about undernutrition people say it's the mother or it's a health issue, but it is a family issue. And unless the family realizes that what they grow, how they harvest their natural resources, everything is related to the nutrition of the family, of the women and children who are most vulnerable get affected first. But at end of the day, everybody is affected by it. Engaging men in this process is very important. And when we bring in the issues of agriculture, livelihood, village assembly planning, so this is where men get interested and understand the larger issues uh, of malnutrition. It is that malnutrition or undernutrition is not a disease for an individual. Another thing I feel is very important is revival of traditional foods and value for uncultivated foods. So if we have to make changes sustainable, we have to think of ways of doing things that is most suited to the region, suited to the soil, to the agroecology of the area. So people have to go back to the original food that, they, that can be grown. If I stay in a dry area, this is so revival of traditional food, be it millets, be it different types of cereals, be it vegetables which easily grow. So uh, revival of traditional food and value for uncultivated food. Uncultivated, we we did a little bit of a small uh, study in uh, West Bengal around the Sundarban areas, which is around the coastal uh, region. So these uh, few things, one is to make malnutrition, reduce malnutrition sustainably. We have to bring together different components and work on rights and entitlements Secondly, uh, we have to engage men in this whole process of addressing undernutrition through various activities like nutrition-sensitive agriculture, nutrition-sensitive village planning, and thirdly, revival of traditional foods, revival of uncultivated foods, traditional recipes, and all the forgotten crops and things like that. So we have to bring them back to ensure that there is food throughout the year, even in uh, very difficult, dry, hard uh, seasons, Yeah, very cold, dry months, winters, whatever it is, we have to ensure that the food is there. And our ancestors, they survived in that situation. So what they did must have been a very good way of doing things. So we have to revive that. And just lastly,
1: I was wondering if you could briefly share the future plans for this project. You've spoken about expanding it to other countries, but if you have any other f- future plans, it would be great to, to understand a bit further.
0: We are trying to, at present, uh, upscale in the Hilfe country offices in the different regions. So we are in the process of scaling up the learnings in the Welthungerhilfe South Asian countries like Pakistan, Afghanistan, Myanmar, Nepal and Tajikistan, all of them have their, like this program, you cannot just take it from one place and uh, replicate in another uh, region, it has to be localized. So that's what we are doing now that if we have to do this process in Tajikistan, what do we have to do? Because Tajikistan has severe winters, so uh, their crop, uh, cropping season is very different. Their agricultural land is not with where there are the um, hamlets they stay in. So these kind of issues have to be addressed. So for every country, though the basic concept remains the same, there a lot of contextualization is very important. So that is what we are trying to do, the helping the countries to develop this program in sync with their country situation. We are doing a lot of virtual trainings at the moment because, as you know, we can't travel. So a lot of discussions, virtual trainings we are doing to ensure that people become familiar with the whole concept work on their own situations. We have also started working on scaling up in three countries in Africa, in Ethiopia, Malawi and Sierra Leone. So we have developed a concept note and we are now processing for funding. Besides that, more videos from different countries, Uh, we will put it there so that Anytime anyone wants to know more about it, uh, about the process, the interventions, the methodology, it can be, and uh, also the studies, what kind of studies we've done. So that is uh, one thought we have and we are working towards it. We are not completely sure how, how it will come out now. We have just started uh, working on it. And but we really think that this kind of a platform is necessary because everyone needs to know what are our successes, what have been our failures, and where we need to improve. It is very important to start sharing now. So with that, we are planning on this knowledge management platform. And finally, we are also trying to work out ICT-based data collection and monitoring system, which will have a dashboard that shows the impact of the different sectors on the nutrition of the child or the family. So we are trying to think of a process whereby some simple method of, uh, say, cell phone, smartphone-based data collection from the community will be done, which will then come uh, display in the dashboard, uh, maybe family-wise, what are the things that has worked in the family and what is the nutritional status of that, uh, the child of that family what are the things that's working to turn a child from red to green so this is something if we can have a visual presentation it makes more impact and uh, more clarity because we are still not uh, completely able to convince all the departments about working together everybody says that there should be convergence but probably there is uh, very little idea about how the convergence will happen because each department has so much of its own uh, systems and targets and uh, plans and things like that, that at the upper level, at the meso or macro level, convergence is like impossible. So convergence has to happen at the micro level. And at the micro level, how will the convergence look? That is something people are still trying to understand uh, and how different departments can work together we hope that through this dashboard it, and if the dashboard is accessible by the different departments departmental officials will understand that how the different programs have to target a family
1: oh that sounds really interesting yes. and like you say it is such a challenge getting to convergence and true convergence yeah. so that people receive yeah. that package of services so your tool mm-hmm. that you're creating sounds fascinating a thank you so much for your time today. I know how busy you are and just judging by the wealth of information you've shared today, it sounds like there's a lot going on and I really appreciate you speaking to us today. So thank you so much. I'm sure people listening into this podcast will find it really as fascinating as I have done.
0: Thank you. Thank you too. It is very important for us to share with people across the globe. Uh, so this is a good opportunity for me too, because we need uh, more ideas. Ideas. We need people to tell us how we can improve and what things we can do to make lives of people better. So the more I get an opportunity to share my learnings, the better it is for Welchunga Health as well as for me. So thank you too. Thank you for listening. For more information on the context of this podcast, please read the article in Field Exchange Issue 65, available on ENN's website.